your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, as you know, we've been on this uh, wonderful journey in the book of Luke, and we've uh, been really studying the story of Jesus and how it impacts our lives, and who we are as God's people, how we can pattern our lives after him, and, and really understand the message of the gospel. And so, um, so I want you to... Uh, Turn there to Luke 14, and we're going to read uh, the passage, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit, all right? If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay. Verse 1 says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Uh, that's a, some kind of condition where he was um, most likely uh, shaking. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Okay, how, how silly is this? How silly is this question? Jesus knows what the religious people are thinking, and he says, is it lawful? He throws it out there. He's, tr- he's like opening it up. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. And then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. Jesus is highlighting the hypocrisy of the religious people that are present. And he's kind of putting it into their face as if to say, well, of course it's right to heal on the Sabbath. What kind of religion gets so deep within you that it twists everything and makes you think that there's a day when people shouldn't get healed. How messed up is that? <laughs> Listen, that's what happens when religion overtakes relationship. When religion overtakes a relationship with God, some kind of way that you get God's attention through your religious duties, some, some way that you try to be holy enough. This is, this, is, this is what Jesus is putting his finger on here in this moment, and he's, he's putting it out there. And he, he begins to tell a story. Verse 7, he's at this, he's at this, this uh, dinner, and he's noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table. And he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus notices what's happening. He's here in this environment. Religious people are here. Different crowds of people are here. He's at the dinner table, and he starts noticing how people choose their seats. The place where they try to find next to the person of honor or next to the person in authority. 
Now, this, this nice, wonderful, lovely table and chairs actually belongs at my house, right? I brought it from my house today. This is the table that my family eats at. In fact, this table belonged to my wife's parents. And she, my wife, Amy, was raised at this table. And so it needs some real good TLC right now, which we will take care of as soon as our children are old enough not to destroy it. But I love how, I mean, I love how Jesus... He wasn't ever afraid to sit at a table with anybody. He was not afraid to sit at a table with a religious person who hated his guts. He was not afraid to sit at a a table with a person who was a tax collector, one of the most hated people in the Jewish culture. He was not intimidated to sit with the sinners, the poor people. The people who didn't have it all together. Actually, actually, that's where he liked to sit. In fact, if you read through the book of Luke, you've noticed that Luke portrays Jesus at more dinner occasions than any other gospel. And he share, he, it's, Jesus is always eating. It's a wonder he wasn't 300 pounds. <laughs> but they didn't have cars, so he was walking everywhere. So he always worked it off. Good lesson for you and me, right? If you're going to eat that much, you need to walk it off. <laughs> so, 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 so Luke depicts Jesus being at a dinner table, sitting at a place where he's sharing with people, where, he, where he's, where he's uh, just talking about any number of things, including the kingdom of God. He, w- he was always trying to bring the kingdom of God to a place that was real, that intersected with real life. One of our problems as Christians is sometimes we, we, we separate into sacred and secular activities. Jesus was trying to bring the kingdom of God into everyday life. So he'd be sitting at dinner, and he noticed how the people were trying to choose their seats. They were trying to find a place And he began to tell the parable, the story. And the story he begins to tell, it's interesting, it embarrasses some of the people there. Jesus was not only unafraid to sit with people who were not like him, he was unafraid to embarrass them. If it needed to be pointed out. And so at my table, you know, when we we sit, I, I sit here at... The head is the dad, and typically Zachary sits here, and, and uh, let's see, Grace sits here, and then Taylor often sits at the end because he likes it at the end, and then we have the two little boys, uh, Owen is here, and Ethan is here, and mom's sitting uh, in the middle of them, <laughs> because if those two boys eat dinner next to each other, that is a real problem with cleanup. In fact, the table is so, I mean, it's so interesting. Dinner is such a unique uh, insight into a family or insight into people's lives who are sharing together. I mean, it's every couple of weeks, 
Owen or one of the other ones will be eating and, and, and they'll be laughing and they'll be just this playing and goofing off and, and suddenly there'll be this big thud and Owen will be on the floor <laughs> and we'll be like, that's why we tell you sit on the seat, sit down with your feet in front and, and make sure that you're not goofing off and beans are everywhere and all kinds of mess is everywhere. Look, look, here's the thing. The kingdom of God wants to invade our real lives. Jesus wants to point things out to you and to me in the context of our routine. And Jesus is pointing out something that I think is important for us to understand that, that he's not just giving free advice on humility. You know, you guys, you need to be more humble. Yeah, that's always good. You always enjoy it when somebody says that to you, don't you? <laughs> hey, you need to be more humble. <laughs> you can always tell if you're humble with your response to that directive. <laughs> it's like the guy who had, it's like the guy who went to church and he was, so, he was so humble. They gave him a button that said humble and then <laughs> they took it away from him because he wore it. So... <laughs> So Jesus is not just giving us free advice on humility. What he's doing is he's, he's peeling back the curtain on the kingdom of God, and he's, he's, he's giving an illustration here. He's saying, look, some of you are trying to get to God in the wrong way. You don't understand how you should be getting to the Father. You're trying to do it with your good works. You're trying to do it by being impressive. You're trying to do it by just maneuvering and getting to that right place. You're trying to get to God in the wrong way. And in fact, he tells the story of the parable of the great banquet where God invites all these people and, and people don't have time for him because they're too busy doing other things. And, in, and then later in the chapter, it's, he tells about the cost of following Jesus and, 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 and how we, we really don't understand that it takes giving up everything. It requires giving up all to follow Jesus. You can read that in chapter 14, the cost of being a disciple, but I want to focus here on this story that Jesus tells because the first mistake, right? The first mistake, Jesus is telling us the dangers of choosing the wrong seat at a wedding, right? The first mistake is actually selecting your own seat, the first mistake is you thinking that you know where you should sit. And so, always wait for instructions at a wedding. Who are wedding? I, I've done a lot of weddings. I've been standing there, you know, at the rehearsal, and, and the whole family's there, and, and there is two people who are really interested in this wedding, and really not too many other people are who are too excited about being there. You know who those two people are? You think it's the bride and groom. It's not the bride and groom. It's the bride and her mother. <laughs> the groom's like just hoping it'll go quick, right? So, so there's, there's something here about listening to someone else to tell you where to sit. The host actually asks you, when you sit in the wrong space, he asks you to sit in a different spot. So he says, someone more distinguished than you may come along. And then you'll be asked to move. And when that happens, if you try to get close to the person of honor, and someone comes and whispers in your ear, uh, yeah, you're sitting in the wrong seat. You need to go over here. That's it. Not only is that personally embarrassing, but you also learn what the host thinks of you. 
And not only do you learn what the host thinks of you, everyone else learns what the host thinks of you too. Public humiliation is happening here. You're you're relegated to the lowest seat. Public correction is so painful. That's what Jesus is really doing to these religious leaders. He's publicly correcting them. Sitting in the lowest seat is embarrassing enough, but not as humiliating as moving from the seat you're in to the lowest seat. And then, of course, Jesus explains. Now, he says, this is not the way to do it. Here, let me tell you how to do it. Jesus explains the benefits of choosing the right seat at the wedding. All right, here's the story. He says, number one, you won't get humiliated publicly. Yay. And then secondly, the second thing that might happen is you'll get, you may get honored by actually being asked to move up. He says it. He says, that he'll, the host comes to you and say, friend, move up to a better place. And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> You may actually ask to get up, get moved up. Now, you may still, the other thing that may happen is you may still have to sit in the lowest seat. Because the problem of often is trying, with us trying to get the lowest seat in order to be asked to moved up, move, moved up. I, I, like, I like this saying. I, I heard it several years ago. Humble pie has a terrible taste, but it's really good for you. Humble pie tastes terrible, but it's so good for you. You see, the story is not about getting honor. The story is about how to choose humility. The story is about choosing humility. Here's, here's what Proverbs says. Proverbs eighteen twelve. It says, before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. Ooh, that's a fun word to know and say. Say that with me. Haughty means prideful. Haughty, yeah, prideful, arrogant. But humility, here's what it says. Humility comes before honor. Humility goes before honor. Honor and humility have a complicated relationship. Honor and humility have this weird, complicated relationship. Here's here's the first idea. Honor is always received, humility is always chosen. Try to reverse it, you're in trouble. Try to choose honor, you can't get it. You lose humility. Nobody else can give you humility. Honor only works when others give it to you. Humility only works when you choose it yourself. Here's another one. Honor is a result, humility is a decision. Honor may or may not cause humility. You know, when you get honored, you may or, it, it may or may not cause humility in your heart, but humility will always bring honor. That's what the Bible says. But here, of course, here's the problem. Choosing humility in order to be honored means you get neither. <laughs> Choosing humility in order to get honored means you get neither which is really messed up because didn't Proverbs just say before honor comes humility? And so, okay, I got to be humble because I really want to be honored. Listen, what Jesus is saying is make sure your motives are as pure as they can be. And what he's saying specifically in this story is he's saying you can't come to God with any of your own stuff. All your motives, all of your desires, all all of your emotions, all of your history, all of your acts, you have to abandon them all to him. You have to surrender everything to him. 
You have to give up everything. It's hard for us to learn. God's, it's interesting, choosing humility is something that is in the scriptures. It's, it's laced throughout the scriptures. Let's look at 1 Peter. Turn over to, to, to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read verse 5 through 7. It says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Now, if we stop here and we go up a little bit, verse 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. He's talking about people who are serving. He's talking about shepherds. He's talking about uh, caring for other people under, under your care, under your responsibility. And so he begins to talk to young men in this letter that Peter is writing. He says, young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. But he doesn't just say it to young men. Young men, do you hear that? Young men, listen, listen, there is no greater test of your maturity than your willingness to submit to somebody who's older than you. And if you're unwilling to submit to somebody who's older than you, then you, you got work to do. Humility says, I'll submit my life to another person. And you may have to be selective to who that person is. But a, as a young man, there is a certain respect level that we need to have for older men. We've kind of lost that in our culture. But here's what Peter says. He says, all of you, everybody say all of you. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you clothe yourselves toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Let's break, this, let's break this passage down just a little bit. First of all, he says, I want you to choose to clothe yourself. I want you to clothe yourself. Here's the thing. Some people pray to God, God, would you please give me humility? Can't be done. Not even God can give you humility. Now, as we saw in Jesus' story, he can humiliate you. But if God has to humble you, that's a bad day for you. If God has to humiliate you to teach you a lesson, that's much harder, much more difficult. And even then, I've seen, I've seen people receive the discipline of the Lord and refuse it. I mean, I've, I've seen that with my kids. I correct them at the table, and they don't want to take it. If they're humble, I'm teaching them to be humble, but they have to choose it. And so this says, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility must be chosen. Pri Listen, pride always sneaks up on you. You ever notice that? Nobody intentionally wants to be prideful and arrogant. But pride, little by little, it sneaks up on you and shows up in such strange ways. In the, ways, uh, in the way other people treat you. In fact, the first sign that humility has gone often is the phrase, how dare you? How dare they? I can't believe they said that to me. I can't believe they did that. That is so rude. Do they know who I am? Don't you know who I am? You should not be treating me this way. Listen, you might be right. They shouldn't be treating you that way. But what you need to key into is the, the heart of what you're saying 
and where it's coming from. There's something here about clothing ourselves with humility. It says, this, this passage says, the most important reason he's quoting Proverbs now when he says it, he says, God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. People who think they know how it works. People who think they know everything. Have you ever hung around a guy who thinks he knows everything? You ever, you ever, I mean, do you like those people at work? Sometimes I meet with couples in my office counseling, and, and I can see that one spouse really thinks they know everything. It's really annoying. God doesn't like it either. He opposes people like that. In fact, as I was thinking about clothing ourselves with humility, I was, I was remembering the little story by Hans Christian Andersen about the, the emperor's new clothes. You ever heard that story? The emperor's new clothes. The emperor wanted a new set of clothes, did this, made this big call. These two swindlers showed up and said they were going to make him clothing. And the clothing was so amazing, it was so impressive that only stupid people could not see it. Only people who are, are not capable could not see it. And so the king didn't want to appear stupid, so he, oh, that looks awesome. <laughs> and they showed him the, the material, and then all the king's attendants are looking at these two guys like, oh, yeah, that, they, they didn't want to be perceived by the king as stupid or incapable. And so they said, yeah, that's great. Oh, it looks awesome. <laughs> so in the story, he, he, he dresses in this new, these new clothes, and he's going to go through a big parade down the, down the main street of the, of the little town or village or the kingdom, and he's, and he's doing this big parade. He's walking, and he's wearing these clothes, and they, they can't be seen. They're, they're, there's no clothing there, right? It's, it's a sham. It's, these two swindlers have, have preyed upon the pride of the king and the arrogance of the kingdom. And they've gotten away with it. And everybody's looking at the king walking down Center Street naked. And, and pretending that he looks awesome. And then in the story, a little kid cries out from the crowd. The king doesn't have any clothes on. And everybody's like, oh. Just think about this for a second. Humility really cuts through all the crud and lets you see things as they really are. Humility is the secret to really seeing things as they really are. I think that's what Jesus is kind of teaching here is it gives you perspective. It gives you understanding. There's this humility, this little, the innocent little child. He cuts through everything, all this stuff that people are going through and trying to be impressive and trying to impress one another and trying not to get caught looking foolish. And this, this humble little child cuts through. You can see it clearly what happens when we humble, when we humble ourselves. The, the passage here in First Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Everybody say grace. What is grace? You know what the meaning of grace is? Grace means favor. 
It means favor. It means God smiles on you. He's smiling on you and setting you up to succeed. Favor is described, this grace is described as empowerment for a task, giving you what you need to be able to accomplish what he has for you. Favor is an explainable good fortune. How did this happen? This is a miracle. God is active in the lives of humble people. But he opposes people who are impatient. Look at the last verse. Verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in, what are the two words right there? Due time. Due season, some of your translations might say. You know what the problem with due time is? It's not my time. It's God's time, and he has this plan, and I want it to be now. But due time is God's time when he's ready to lift you up. And that always takes much longer than I'm comfortable with. Impatience reveals our arrogance. What Peter's saying is have confidence that humility will reveal honor. God's kingdom thrives on humility. If you think about it, just think about it for a second. Just some words of Jesus and maybe the Apostle Paul. Think about how God's kingdom is described. If you want to be great in the kingdom, then you must be the servant or the slave of all. Think about Jesus saying, if you want to save your life, then you've got to lose it. You've got to give everything away. Jesus saying, what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like a little child, the innocence of a little child, the full acceptance of a child. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says that that we are jars of clay, that we're we're not impressive in any way. We're just jars of clay that are kind kind of cracked. And inside that jar of clay is unimaginable power from God. Later on in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul describes it as God's power being made perfect in weakness. God's power made perfect in weakness. And so then Paul says, so now I just brag about my weaknesses. I I get excited about the difficulties and all that because I know that when I am weak, then I am strong. Not because I'm so impressive, but because God, humility sets the stage for God to get involved. This is something we Americans have really a lot of trouble with. We struggle with this because we think we're supposed to be impressive. Jesus sets another example. Turn over to Philippians, just a little to the left. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. I want you to read this passage with me. This is the illustration of Jesus. Philippians 2, it says this. Verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Wow, really better than myself? What if they're not better than myself? Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Hey, you want to know how to choose humility? It has to do with other people. You want to know how to choose it? Here's some ideas on how to choose. How do we choose humility? We apologize when we're wrong. We apologize. You apologize when you're wrong. Have, can, I, can, I, can I share with you a little pet peeve about apologizing? It's not an apology when you say, if I did anything to hurt you, then I'm sorry. 
It is not an apology to say, well, if you felt bad about that, I'm sorry. That is not how you take responsibility. An apology means you've taken responsibility. Well, Pastor Ross, what if I don't, what if all the responsibility is not mine? So, can you force them to take their responsibility? No. You, when you're wrong, you need to own it. And when you own it, you need to be honest and forthright and direct. I am so sorry. That was my fault. That was my mistake. I shouldn't have responded like that. Please forgive me. By the way, apologies should always end with, would you please forgive me? I can hear it all spinning. What? You want me to say that? If you have trouble saying those words, that's an indication of your level of humility. Another way you could do it is serve others first. This passage says, look to the interests of others. If you want to know how to be humble, you've got to choose serving other people first. Maybe here's another way to, to choose humility. You might listen to in the input of others. You might listen to what others have to say and not just always tell other people what you think. Somebody who talks all the time. So annoying. Listen. What, what about, how, here, here's, an, here's an interesting idea. Here's how you choose humility. You pray. Do you, do you know that prayer is like this, this admission that you can't do it on your own? Prayer is an admission that there is nothing that you can do in and of yourself that God has to step in and help you. Here's, here's an idea. Here's one specific way you can be humble. Don't retaliate when others wrong you. What? What? Pastor Ross, I don't, you, I don't think you quite understand what's at stake at my job. Oh, really? You, you don't think God knows what's at stake? See, here's the thing. Humility is something so powerful, and we're not tapping into it. Look at what happened to Jesus. He says, verse 5, he says, your attitude should be the same. Everybody say the same. The same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to. Jesus chose not to hold on to his right as being God and became human. He was fully God. He, had, he, he was fully divine, and he was fully human. So he, so he released his grasp on his divinity and made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And then the rest of the passage is about how God lifted him up and exalted him. Jesus became obedient even to death. And if you, if you look back at the back of the book, Revelation 5, turn over there just real quick. Revelation 5 describes Jesus being exalted. In, in the, the vision of the Apostle John in verse 9, I'll just read it quickly. He's seeing a huge display all around the throne of the Lamb of God of elders and beasts and, and, and angels and people from every tribe and tongue and people and, and nation. And, it's, and it says, and they sang a new song in verse 9. 
It says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. Wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and under the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Why does Jesus want us to embrace humility? Is it so that we can receive honor? No. If you understand what the scriptures are saying, if you take humility, take on humility in order to get honor, suddenly you've lost what it means to be humble. No, humility is not something we adopt so that we can receive honor. It's something we embrace so that God can receive honor. The way to come to God is to empty yourself of yourself, to admit that you can't do the things that you want to do, but you need God's help. That the way to approach God is not to come with all of your stuff and think that, okay, i got to read my Bible every day. i got to do all this stuff. Is it a good idea to read the Bible? Of course it is. More of it, the better. But that's not what makes you holy. What you do is you come and you choose humility. You choose to read the Bible every day even though you may not understand it all because we're in the book of Deuteronomy in the one-year Bible reading plan at one chapel. But you read it every day, not because you understand it, but because it's a humble act of submission to God. We choose humility so that God can be honored. We choose humility because humility is, in essence, worshiping God who knows all and sees all. Humility is the epitome of making more out of God, making a big deal out of God, less of ourselves. Humility is the core of a surrendered life to God. Jesus teaches us to have humility. He leads us to have humility because if we do, it means we get all the benefits that God has at his disposal. He gets then to step in and help us and receives all the glory. In our weakness, he shows up. Why does Jesus teach us to have humility? Because humility demands that we give up our life to honor Jesus. Because humility says, not my will, but your will be done. Because humility means we do exactly what we're instructed to do. Because humility teaches us to listen first instead of tell everyone else what we think. Because humility says, I don't have to have my way. I'm going to give in to my spouse. Whoa. In fact, humility says, I don't have to, I don't have to defend myself at work if there's a guy who's gunning for me, I can rely on Jesus to help me. I can rely on him to, well, Pastor Ross, you, I don't think you know what the work world is really all about. I don't think you know how dirty and nasty it is out here. Listen, Jesus does. In fact, he went through the same kind of filth and grime and terror and frustration and fear at the cross 
He knows exactly what you're facing. And he wants you to choose humility even as you interact with your boss or with your coworker. Humility trains us to speak kindly to our neighbors, to our kids, so that they can see God. Humility trains us to not retaliate when we're mistreated. Humility serves those who don't deserve even to be served. If you look at this table and you choose the seat, you choose the lowest seat, guess what? Guess what happens? It's the lowest seat where God does all his best work. It's the lowest seat where you get to see how God is working in people who aren't, who aren't sitting in the place of honor. It's the lowest seat where the poor are where the prisoner is, who's, who's wanting to be freed by the power of God. It, it's, it's, the, it's the lowest seat where those who are in such great need, that's where God does his greatest work. And when we take that seat, we get a front row view of God's power in action. Humility is the best seat you can choose to watch God do more than you could ever imagine. Are you listening to me? Listen, humility, it's the best seat in the house. It's the best seat in the house to watch God do his thing. Close your eyes, bow your heads, let's pray together. Why don't you let the Holy Spirit speak to you about where you are, about how you think about how you act, how you treat your spouse, how you treat the people around you, how you treat your kids. I want to I just challenge you to surrender everything today. Father, I pray for all my friends sitting here with me in this auditorium, and we've all come today, really, uh, most of us in a, in a display of humility just to spend an hour and a half with you to come and, and let you fill our lives and to really demonstrate that we believe you are who you say you are. But we pray that you would help us to choose humility with the favor of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in us. We choose humility so that we can see you honored in every way, in everything in our lives. Father, would you help us hear our prayer today as we humble ourselves. Hear our prayer today as we surrender all. If you're here this morning and you find yourself needing to make a commitment to God because you've been away from him, or because you've been resisting him, or maybe you've just been ignoring him. You've found yourself feeling the sense of arrogance, even in your own heart as we've been talking about it. I want to ask you to respond to the work of Jesus in your heart right now. And if you're realizing, I, I, need, I need to surrender all. I, 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 need to, I need to let go of all the things that I'm trying to do, and I need to humble myself before God. And I want to choose humility. I want to treat people differently. I, I, I want to live in a way that reveals God's honor. And I 
need to make a commitment to him today. Maybe it's the first time, or maybe it's the first time in a very long time. But either way, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But if that's you, and you sense that the Lord is speaking to you, then I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, Pastor, please pray for me today. Yep, I see you back there, back in the back. Anybody else over here on this side? Yep. Anyone else? Just put your hand in the air. Just say, this, and this is the test. This is kind of the test of your own humility. Just, and if you feel it, you feel like you don't want anybody to know or you're afraid of other people's opinions, this is the moment. Just shoot that hand up in the air. Say, I don't care. I don't care what other people think. I care what God thinks most of all. Yeah, I see you. I see that. Yeah. Come on, all over the room, let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray it out loud, all of us together, humbling ourselves. Everybody say, Heavenly Father. Everybody say it. Come on, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus who shows me the way to humble myself. Forgive me, Lord, for going my own way, for doing my own thing, for making my own path. I confess my sin all my failures, all my foolishness, I lay it down at your feet. I surrender everything and I ask you to be Lord of my life. I choose to follow you. I choose to humble myself. Father, thank you for each of these prayers that have been prayed here. Now I pray that you'd help all of us to be in a position to see the moment that we need to choose humility that's coming. It's coming this afternoon. It's coming tomorrow at work. It's, there's, a, there's a moment coming where we're going to have to choose it. And I pray that you would illuminate that moment for every one of us and give us strength, give us help. We don't want opposition from you. We want, we want the favor that only you can provide. Help us, Lord. We yield to you. We humble ourselves and let you take over. It's in Jesus' name.